Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the show. And uh, this week's guest, uh, very few might have heard of him, perhaps only uh, 37 of you might have ever uh, seen him on Twitter. His name's Brendan Lane 19. And 37 is the amount of followers that he has right now, but we're going to get that up, listeners. Um, Brendan reached out to me via DM um, just to shoot some questions and to kind of uh, offer himself to come onto the show, even though it was against kind of all of his best judgment for a long time, uh, just because he felt the pull to share the message and to try and represent somebody of his age group and of somebody that is, you know, one of the lesser known accounts on Twitter, um, give a voice to those people that are coming into the space and to share what he has learnt with other people that might find themselves in his position. How can I turn that down? Um, it was great to have a chat with Brendan. I hope you find some value in this and uh, share it around and go and find him on Twitter. He is Brendan Lane, at Brendan Lane 19. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate him reaching out and, um, and coming on and, and sharing all of this. And we had a great discussion. I hope you enjoy it. Before we get into it, um, you know, at the point of recording, the, the price of Bitcoin was a lot lower than it is today as we go out to release. Um, looking at Clark Moody, we're up at around 11,200. We've already been up through 12,000. This is in US dollar terms, I'm talking guys, sorry, just to make that clear. If you're not stacking already, uh, you know, get stacking. Even if you've already got some coins stashed away on a hard wallet, you can dollar cost average into this bull run. Um, you know, any, any small amount that you can put away per week, Let's, let's keep building that stack. So if you're in the UK, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. Uh, go start stacking stats with those guys. Hit the auto buy function and set that up. It doesn't take, oh, it'll probably take you 20 minutes at most. Uh, swanbitcoin.com in the US forward slash once bitten. So go check those, both of those companies out. Um, there are many more around the world. They're the only two I have an affiliate link for, and I've uh, interviewed both founders. Uh, well, all three founders, because Swan have uh, Jan and Corey um, co-founding that and really pushing that service in the US. And Obi in the UK, where uh, really impressed with that uh, exchange. They're a Bitcoin-only exchange. So you can make um, bigger purchases there if you want, one-time purchases, or just set up your auto buys. So, Let's get on with this. Thank you again to everybody for listening. I hope you enjoy this one. Have a great day. Hey guys, welcome to today's uh, show of Once Bitten. Joining me today is Brendan Lane, who reached out to me on Twitter, and uh, we'll get into that in a second. Brendan, thank you. Uh, well, one, thanks for reaching out, and uh, two, thanks for uh, taking the time to join us today. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it, guys. And Lauren, you are going to fire away with the first question. Um, what do you do? 
Oh, that's a great question, Lauren. So I do something that has absolutely nothing to do with Bitcoin at all. Okay. So I work in the marketing technology space. So what that means is if you're ever watching TV or you're on your computer and you see different advertisements that are popping up, right? Let's say it's for a car or maybe it's for Google or someone like that. Um, I work for a company whose technology makes those advertisements appear. And so I've actually worked in this space for about 10 years. Um, and my role is in sales. So I talk with customers that want to show their ads to different people around the world and we help them do it. Wait, did you say, what did, what did you say in the last bit? I didn't hear you. Like we have fun doing it. Did you say that? Yeah. So my, my customers would be the, what we call advertisers. So it's people who want to show their products, let's say. So maybe, um, Let's say, for example, that your dad was looking to buy a car. And so if you ever see on your TV screen, you see different car advertisements for, let's say, Toyota or for Hyundai or for Ford, those would be my customers. And so we actually help them show their advertisements to different people all around the world through our technology. Okay, yeah. Now. And, and what car do I want to buy? Do you know? You want to buy a Tesla. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but which one? I would. Uh, all of them. Yeah, true. Yeah, um, give it a couple of years when Bitcoin moons, and uh, we'll have the whole. And what, and uh, when one of our cars broke break down. We and when one of our cars breaks yeah. down, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. But right now we're good with our twenty three year old Land Cruiser. Yeah. Because we're low time preference. Exactly. Exactly right. And the Tesla. What was your other, the, the, Exactly, the Tesla will find us. Stop me if this is wrong, Daddy. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you reach out to my dad? Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, it's what you wanted to know. Yeah. yeah. Why did you contact? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's another great question. Um, you know, there there isn't maybe a very straightforward answer to that. Um, so I've listened to your dad's show, and I've heard you ask a lot of great questions as well um, for a few months now. And I think that your dad, along with a few other people that I listen to, like, let's say, Peter McCormack, um, Stefan Levera, I think he asks great questions and he has great um, interviews. Um, But one thing I noticed was um, there aren't a lot of Bitcoin podcast episodes where they talk to people that aren't actually working in the space or maybe aren't necessarily experts. And so completely out of the blue, I decided to write your dad a message um, to say, Hey, I'm a big fan. Here's an interesting idea. Perhaps if you know, you could have someone on the show um, who isn't an expert on this and maybe get their perspective on what it's like to be um, interested in Bitcoin and as we got talking, um, I decided, hey, maybe that person could be me. Totally random idea. Um, and a few weeks later, here we are. Um, it's because you believe in yourself because you are on this podcast, because you know that you want to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, and hopefully, hopefully after an hour, however long we speak today, Maybe this will be useful for other people around the world that similarly to me um, 
aren't experts or don't work in the Bitcoin industry, um, but are curious and like to figure out um, exactly how all this stuff comes together. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your questions. Uh, yeah. And um, I hope you have some, Daddy. Uh, yeah, I've got plenty now. Good. <laughs> Do you want to say goodbye? Yeah, bye. And bye, um, have a great morning. Thank you. Thank you for the help with the audio equipment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, you've you, you were you're telling us that um, you kind of like holed up in a in a bedroom closet. Uh, you, you've been in your apartment just uh, just four days, and um, you know, finding your feet. You've got a a toddler asleep in uh, you know the next room, sort of thing. So. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of like uh, found shelter in uh, my daughter's uh, bedroom here because um, we've got uh, an extra kid staying with us this week. Um, a French uh, girl has come to learn English with the family, so yeah, I'm trying to avoid as much noise as possible as well. So uh, we'll make it work. Yeah, I mean, honestly, having just moved from New York City to Chicago, me sitting in my bedroom closet is probably better than I would have done previously in my 450 square foot apartment would have woken up the kid instantly so <laughs> hopefully this hopefully this works out so yeah as you were explaining um how this come about um yeah i thought it was very cool that you reached out on twitter and i thought it was a brilliant idea to um you know this is the idea of the podcast right is to try and reach as many people as possible and to help um newer people coming into the space kind of understand how bitcoin has or can affect their lives and that's what I'd love to get, um, you know, deeply into you and talk about your rabbit hole story and your journey and um, how it's kind of fundamentally changed you and how you would like to try and help other people come into the space as well. But if we do, if we do kind of like, um, kind of like rest on for now, like your experience in advertising your kind of like day to day job, 10 years, you said you've been in that space. Was it? Anything there that you were doing that kind of led you to Bitcoin or how did you kind of find Bitcoin? Yeah, maybe in some indirect way. I, I would say like traditionally there's almost no overlap at all. Like, you know, my day to day as someone that works at a marketing technology company, um, yeah, does not overlap with anything that's even tangential to, I think, why Bitcoin's important. Um, the, the one... The one I think maybe advantage I had was, although I'm actually not very technical, um, I'm in sales. Um, I've at least been exposed to um, technology enough to not be completely intimidated when it comes to learning about how Bitcoin works fundamentally, like on a technical level. I'm, I'm obviously not an expert, um, but maybe that was one advantage. I think whereas a lot of people may just as soon as they hear decentralized ledger their their eyes just might roll over white whereas for me i could sort of prod away at some of that just having had a little bit of exposure um but no i mean the reason i i first learned about it was probably for a lot of people um in mid to late 2017 it was just you know the number go up hysteria of like what is this thing um i had one friend in particular that had bought in like early 2017 and so he had mentioned it a few times to me um it was i was definitely caught up in the same hysteria that a lot of other people were 
Um, and it was entirely for selfish reasons, right? Like, hey, let me buy a little bit. It seems like the number will just go up forever. Um, that kind of made me get a little bit of skin in the game. Had you ever invested in like stocks and shares or anything like that in the past? Yes, but I've never, um, I've never picked stocks. Let's say. So thankfully, I've been you know fortunate having you know grown up outside New York City in a very you know wealthy environment. I've been exposed to you know the importance of investing in four hundred one ks and stuff like that. Right, I'm sort of in a privileged position in that sense. Um, but I've never, never been an expert in any of that kind of stuff. It's, it's always been entirely intimidating, right? To, to think that like, I'm going to go buy some stocks and make money off it. <laughs> so then like, just, just, that must've been a weird transition for you coming straight into Bitcoin then and thinking, I, th I think this is such a, a huge step for people to make because for whatever reason, very few of us are ever schooled in, you know, what markets are. Uh, we, it's not, especially in the UK. I, I think I find it generally um, in the US. People are more aware of the stock markets and more aware of how they work and more aware of you know how to invest. In the UK, the upbringing, we, we just didn't even know stock markets existed, really, in in high school um, or secondary school, however you want to call it. Not even after um, going through uh, college. And I, yeah, it's just, it, it's baffling. Um, and this is a huge barrier for people now to come in to something like this, which is so volatile. And when it does hit the news headlines, you, you like, you know, you FOMO into it, you want to be a part of it. Can you speak to that at all? Like the first time you bought it? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, the, when I first bought in, like maybe mid 2017, Thankfully, I didn't buy in, in December of 2017, though, obviously, I also did not time the top very well. Um, yeah, honestly, it was just like, I'll just throw a little bit of fun money at it. Um, it seems like everyone else is making money. And I didn't know what the heck I was doing, right? It wasn't a smart decision. <laughs> it was sort of just like, this seems interesting, leap of faith, threw a little bit of money at it. And honestly, my advice to people would be, do that. Like, once you have skin in the game, even if it's $10, it doesn't matter. It'll force you to sort of one, check the price. And then two, you'll start to question like, why did I do this? Like, why is the number going up? Why is it going down? Um, once you have a little bit of skin in the game, it becomes much easier to invest in the educational side of things. Um, but, but I totally agree. Like there is a ridiculously high barrier to entry to understanding how the stock market works. And, and that is something I still really haven't attacked very much. And on the Bitcoin side, it's even, I think, even more profoundly complicated than just, let's say, like the investing piece. It's like, as soon as you tell someone that you care about Bitcoin, their reaction will be, like, isn't that a scam? Like, aren't there all these other different internet currencies? Like, it's all fake internet money. Like, why, why is this one better than a different one? And it's like, I, I totally freaking get it. Like, Every time somebody says that, that's the logical conclusion to come to, right? It's like everything about what, what you know, at this point, having been curious enough to learn a bit over the last, let's say, three years, like to get even to this point, um, like everything you have to learn about is entirely counter to the status quo, right? It's like, if, if <laughs> it's like you have to 
to gain this like perspective and to learn and care about something that literally nobody else cares about. Like none of my friends has nothing to do with my industry. You kind of start to question your own sanity and your, and your motives. And, and ultimately you need to just have a lot of curiosity to just slowly prod away at this beast, right? Like slowly ask simple questions, um, slowly figure out like whether this thing's a scam. And then over time, like, you know, maybe you could build up a little bit of conviction, but until then I agree the, the barrier to think that Bitcoin is anything other than a scam is very, very high. And kind of like the, um, <laughs> it's, it's completely opposite where people think like, you know, okay, if I, if I put in the work and if I, if I understand the stock market as deeply as I can and, you know, then I can get good at picking stocks and delving into the analytics of particular companies, looking at the PE ratio, looking at the, um, the market cap, looking at who's the CEO, looking at like the, the, uh, listening in on the quarterly financial calls and all of that kind of nonsense. That is so difficult considering you have all of these thousands of companies out there. And, you know, how on earth are you going to get, just pick one? Whereas with, with Bitcoin, if you, like, if you, it's very, very hard to trust us people that talk about it. It's like, all you got to do is buy Bitcoin and you're free of all of that other nonsense. You don't even have to look into all of the other crappy coins and altcoins and shit coins and whatever else. And I know it's tough that, you know, just take our word for it, but it's, and it's that simple. Um, but like you say, we've been so, it's because it's so new and um, people that have, you know, been aware of the stock market for God knows how many decades, um, they think that's the way to go and that's where to go and place your money. And um, that's how you're going to build on assets and save wealth. Mm, yeah, good luck. Um, but right. <laughs> Especially today when you've got like, you know, Davy Day Trader Global and Robinhood has just like such penetration and such good marketing. Actually, the, the company I work for now, um, we helped Robinhood to build their referral program. I don't know if you've huh. ever personally seen how that works, but when they first no. launched, um, they just they created a club like experience, right, where. There's the club is empty, but there's a huge waiting line outside. And so Robinhood, when they first launched, they had, you know, you sign up, you get the app, you see what your spot in line is. It's X number of million people. Um, and in order to move up in the line, you would refer your friends. And every time you referred someone, you moved up. I forget what it was, 25 spots or something. Um, but there's been their marketing is just genius. And they've been able to get so many people into what is an incredibly complicated environment, right? Like picking stocks, like by no means should you or me have any chance of picking stocks correctly. Um, but it's so perverse now because way more people are using Robinhood um, and the numbers going up across the board um, than are being um, drawn into Bitcoin, which as you said, is arguably a much more simple path. Yeah, we've just got to um, figure it out how to get the message across, which I'm hoping we'll come back to with your um, expertise and we can um, 
kind of brainstorm on that a little bit later. But for I, I, just, I don't want to wash over Robin Hood in case there are listeners thinking, what are they talking about? Like, you know, what what is this? Who is Robin Hood? What 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 do they do? Um, obviously, they'd have heard of like the um, the legend uh, Robin Hood. But could you explain, you know, what Robin Hood is and uh, what people are uh, using it for? Oh yeah, maybe I'm assuming. So so I'm based in the U.S. Right? It's it's sort of this. And I, I'm 31 years old. So among my demographic, this is like or even younger. Most millennials, I would say, have Robin Hood at this point. So Robin Hood is basically, let's say, sort of a direct-to-consumer um, investing platform. So previously, whereas you may have used someone like Charles Schwab or Chase or some old-school financial company where you picture people in suits um, to invest, and you know you would pay very high fees to do so, Robin Hood came out and said, we want to democratize um, investing, really picking stocks um, to the masses. And so they came out with, at first, they only had an app, didn't have a website, very little to almost no customer support, but they make it entirely frictionless for someone to put $100 in and buy some Disney shares. And so in the last, how long have they been out? I would say at least five years. Um They've brought a lot of people that would probably be better off having a financial advisor or just investing in the S&P 500 or something like that. They've made it very easy for a lot of people to you know, essentially gamble on what types of stocks they want to pick for whatever reason. And they can buy just fractions, right? If, if like Apple, for example, is like $350 a stock and you've only got 20 bucks, you, you can buy like a, a fraction, a sliver. Is that correct? Yep, exactly. And they've actually they've forced a lot of the other traditional players to do something similar. Like I know Schwab, for example, now does the same thing. Right. Hmm. And it's backfiring for a lot of people. Well, it, it, if, the thing is, right now, it's it's almost not, right? Because <laughs> it's like right, right now, <laughs> and maybe from our lens, it's due to like all of the, you know, money printer go burr stuff. But right now, you've got like, you know, the like the barstool guy, like going viral, launching Davy Day Trader Global, where he's literally just picking. At times, he's rolling dice, and whatever number stock it happens to land on, he'll throw a million dollars into it. And it almost doesn't matter what you do right now, because across the board, it seems like, especially tech stocks, which are what millennials would be exposed to. Like for me, I understand what Google is better than I understand what Berkshire Hathaway is. And especially the tech stock, it just seems like the numbers keep going up and people are making money off this thing. Um, I have a hard time thinking that's sustainable. <laughs> but um, Right now there's like the masses are sort of winning at this crazy game that we're playing. Now, so David Dave Trader, I've seen him on Twitter and uh, Barstool, he's the, the, the comedian guy. Um, do people think he's like, you know, for real? Are they missing that this is a parody? That's it's honestly, I'm not sure what I think because, uh, <laughs> right? It's like it is a parody. Um, he's absolutely hysterical, but at the same time, like people are watching him sit in front of his computer, like for however many hours a day, and pick stocks. And I think they might think that it's legitimate financial advice. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and can 
People can trade on leverage here, right, on this app, which I think this is the most dangerous thing. Is that correct? Am I, um... Ooh, actually, I don't oh. know that one. I, I actually don't use Robinhood, so... Um, Please don't stop. Like I said, I... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, most of my traditional investing has just been, thankfully, my dad told me ages ago, just buy the S&P. I think Warren Buffett is someone that says that quite a bit. Um, and so I really haven't ever gotten pulled into that game. Um on the flip side, you know, I, I am invested in Bitcoin, so people might think that that's even worse than Robinhood. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, that's of course, that's debatable. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, sales and advertising and, uh, you know, what, what you were kind of explaining to Lauren um, earlier about um, the kind of um, things that you do to try and market um, customers' um, products and stuff. Is there anything that – I mean, you lifted the lid a little bit on Robinhood there. Is there anything um, – else that uh, because there's all of this talk about um we think our phones are listening to us for example and then all of a sudden a um, an ad will you know shoot up on facebook um you know we mentioned tesla earlier and you know if i were to log into facebook lo and behold i might get a, a tesla advert not that they do that but um you know i should have picked a better brand but is this kind of thing happening or are we all just completely like you know off yeah, so that kind of thing does happen, but there are there are some caveats. Um, and yeah, I, I should say like, you know, I, I've worked in this space just because I happened to get introduced to someone that got me an interview out of college. Like it was never, never my plan. Um, my wife is a doctor. And so by no means am I saving lives. <laughs> um, but, I, but I do think that there is some... There's this interesting balance, especially on the on the Internet, where you have like, do you really want to pay for all the content you consume on the Internet? Like, do you want every news organization to become The New York Times behind a paywall or do you want everything to be ad supported and free or do you want some middle ground? Um, And there's this really interesting push and pull um, between if you want websites to keep their content freely available what are the tools that are going to help them make more money? And on the internet, its biggest advantage is personalization and targeting, right? And so that's why you have you know, thousands and thousands of internet native media companies, whereas in the TV world, you only had, let's say, a handful of TV channels for a very, very long time. Um, but like sort of unchecked a lot of the tech that has made personalization possible um, on the internet. Um, has sort of gone pervasively creepy in some sense. So your your example is like, there actually are um, examples of games have been for the most part, let's say over the last few years, have done malicious things. Like when you open your game, it accesses your microphone. And there were actually some legitimate use cases where um, there was this large, what we call ad network, I won't say who they were, um, but there's a New York Times article on them where they publicly said, and it was in their terms of service, that they were doing this and they were accessing your microphone in order to listen to what TV channel you were watching. And the idea was they wanted advertisers, let's say you're watching the US Open, let's say it's tennis, they wanted advertisers to be able to, you know, not just target someone on the TV, but like a lot of us do, the TV's on mute, we're on our phones, we're scrolling through Facebook. They wanted to be able to show on Facebook the same ad that they were showing on TV at that time. So there's a lot of stuff like that that 
again, you could sort of determine what the limits should be. Um, but sort of unchecked for a while, a lot of that stuff came into play. But in today's environment, um, it's sort of pulling back the other way. Um, there's actually a, a huge announcement about a week and a half ago that Apple is removing pretty much all mobile app personalization. Um, and there's legislation like GDPR in the UK and the CCPA in California that is sort of pulling it back towards consumer privacy and away from some of that unchecked, um, you know, pervasive creepiness kind of stuff. Which is where we need to head, right? Especially this is something that um, is very um, becoming very important in the uh, in the Bitcoin space. Everybody looking for that um, little bit more privacy, and that's what you know. It's one of these things that when you start, uh, you know, down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, that just keeps coming up and staring you in the face. And I've got to get better at it myself. And uh, it's important for me to try and make sure that you know I, I get my kids in front of privacy um, before you know they start their real internet journey as well. Yeah, it's true. It's it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how I've felt. Like I like I said, I never have felt like I'm saving lives. Um, but in there is there is a sense of my industry where if you're helping more people make content available freely that is a good outcome um and so it's just about finding the right balance like you said right and and who draws these lines and how will always be the struggle but yes someone someone maliciously acting your or accessing your phone microphone clearly bad but is anonymously targeting someone uh on Facebook, depending on stuff that they're interested in per the stuff they like, is that bad? Some people might argue yes. Some people might say if it's helping, you know, the advertiser serve their customers better, maybe not. The devil's in the details. Honestly, I, a, a lot of the platforms are sort of the ultimate um, sort of like purveyors of, of what will happen. So Apple, Google, um, it's it's. In that sense, my industry is a little bit interesting. Um, the stuff just changes all the time so much. But ultimately, no. I Yeah, a, a lot of advertising is creepy and bothersome. And if you're just trying to watch something, you hate to get a 30-second pre-roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Mad Men, do you think uh, that did that like season hit the, the nail on the head for what was going on back in the day? Honestly, probably. I mean, basically, Mad Men was the pre-technology advertising age where it's all relationship-driven, right? It's like if you, you need the consultant, you need the big picture, you need the distribution. Um, today, it's all technology and, and algorithmic um, kind of stuff happening. So unfortunately, I've never caught the Mad Men level of, you know, boozy lunches and that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're probably just working remotely now and like, you know, drinking alone in your own closet is, is no, not much fun, right? <laughs> where's where's exactly. the cigar? So exactly. Uh, here, the rest of my daily Zoom calls like this. Yep. Yeah. Here's a hypothetical for you then. Uh, a Bitcoin only company comes to you. This would be like a perfect kind of scenario for you, I guess, and says, uh, Brendan, we need your help um, kind of getting our message across. How would you then kind of like go around, uh, you know, delving into that and figuring out the uh, the best plan of action? Because there are so many people around the world right now. You, you know, once you come into Bitcoin, you almost start marketing it. You're, 
that's what we rely on, right? People, whether it's creating podcasts, writing articles, writing books, um, memes, huge, huge meme scene on, on the internet right now. But what would you say to, to a company that came to you? How would you kind of sit down and um, figure out a, like a strategy and a plan of action? Do you have any thoughts? Are you waiting for this to happen? That would obviously be the dream call for you. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe someday. Um, that would be an interesting career um, overlap. But yeah, I mean, honestly, the, the Robin Hood playbook that we touched at is, is kind of it. And I, and I think, you know, the guys at Swan Bitcoin, they're doing a terrific job at this from, from the outside looking in. Um, like you need to capture, capture virality is really first and foremost. And um, in the old days, it was kind of like, hey, let's buy the Super Bowl commercial because that's how we're going to caption everyone's attention. Um, today, like as as much as it might pain my parents, let's say, like the social media influencer type stuff, like that's how you do it. Like you, you need to you basically need to turn your customers into advertisers. So that's what Robin Hood did with. Um, getting people to share the app with their friends so they can move up the wait list. It's a free way to get people to, to advertise for you. Um, and then you need to latch on to the cultural side of things with social media influencers and all this kind of crazy stuff, um, Snapchat and, and what have you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I should also say I'm more on the technology side. I'm, I'm not really on the consulting side. But um, I do think that the handful of Bitcoin-only companies out there like Swan, like um, the folks at Cash App, um, it seems like they're really hitting the nail on the head as far as like social media, bit, uh, podcast advertising. Um, like those guys seem like pros. So it sounds as though everyone's doing pretty much the right thing so far. It's just a, a matter of time then. I, I think so. I mean, there's, um, I really like Swan's model in particular because they're sort of, they've hired a lot of these like content creators, right? And so they're, it sounds like their value proposition is, you know, obviously we need to create a brand, we need brand recognition, but as they bring people in, like they have a platform to help educate people. And like we said, it's, it's not easy. Like, it's not like, you know, I can see, Oh, Bitcoin, I should buy some. That makes sense. It's like, no, this thing is a scam. And until you start to peel, peel back a bunch of layers, which it sounds like Swan is trying to help people do. Um, it's freaking hard. <laughs> um, it's just really, really hard. So let's come to that then you, you know, you kind of like, um, you come onto the pod- podcast as like this uh, like normal guy on the street. Um, you, you feel as though um, you, you want to help people. Um, what are people saying to you when you're talking to them about it, like your friends or your family? Have you? What, what's the kind of pushback that you're getting or are you having any success um, that you can share with people? Yeah, honestly, I haven't really tried to push it out to my friends and family. Um, it's almost like, and maybe you have felt similarly in the past. It's almost like it's kind of embarrassing to even say that this is something you care about because again, like the, the natural reaction from people, if you do mention it is like, well, at best they just kind of stop listening, but more often than not, it's like, dude, what are you talking about? (laughs) It's like, it's like, if I try to say like, if someone's like, explain Bitcoin to me, I'll be like, yeah, so it's, you know, this did internet native uh digital currency that or let's say whose goal is to try and remove the control of money from the hands of government if i i mean that just sounds insane right like 
Like if you get that far and someone's still listening, that's a miracle. Um, and so I've almost, I've almost avoided it. Like it hasn't, it's probably due to part embarrassment, part just like, you know, my, I don't think my friends and family are really well positioned to sort of like ask these types of questions and really to dig in, um, in enough detail where I think they'll have as much conviction as I do. Um, so I, I don't know the best way to doing it. I, I hope that like these types of conversations today give people some confidence that like, Hey, it doesn't all have to be as intimidating as you think it is. You had mentioned earlier, like trying to understand the stock market or even trying to understand like what the heck is debt? Like what is quantitative easing? What is, what's the repo market? Like this stuff is so scary from the outside looking in. So, so hopefully it's just conversations like these that get people to sort of expand, um, you know, their mindset and, and start to ask some of those simple questions. Yeah. It's a very, very tough thing to do. It's, um, you're right. People think, well, they just switch off. Like, first of all, they think you're a salesman for it or something. It's like some kind of, um, Ponzi scheme that you're like just trying to push on them. And, um, I don't know how we change that narrative. I really don't. It's so difficult. But like you say, what brought you in was the number go up um, when we had the bull run in 2017, which hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll be entering another bull run, who knows, anytime over the next six to nine months maybe. And that will bring more people in. And there's just more, there's more services available now um, to make it easier for people to come in and stick around and, and learn a little bit more about it. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I <laughs> No, I, I, I'm hopeful, honestly. Um, I think it's kind of a tricky thing, right? It's like the way that this whole four-year halving cycle works. It creates these like boom and bust cycles where it's like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. And then a bunch of people get burned and they're like, oh no, it was totally a scam. I knew it all along. And it's it's sort of sneaky because during that time, right? Like the protocol is strengthening, more people are adopting it. But the narratives don't follow that kind of like, you know, upward trajectory in any clear sense. Um, so I'm hopeful. I, I think the same as you. I, th I think within the next year, it'll be very clear that we're in, a, we're in another bull run. It'll be more hysteria. Um, I'm super confident that like if, if someone like me could make it this far and sort of understand even a little bit, like more people will get there. Um, it just takes time and it tends to lag behind those bull runs. Um yeah, I, I don't know. When, when, when we interview people or when I've interviewed people at the different companies I've worked for, like the number one thing I always think is important is curiosity. It's like you just need to ask questions and care to understand how stuff works. And like we said, it's really hard with Bitcoin. It's like impossibly hard. Um, like I, you almost need like a, a one year old's level of curiosity. Like my son is one year old. Right. And it's like we, we, we have like all these crazy toys like i'm sure you dealt with so we have this like big plastic toy train that's like it's supposed to help him try to learn how to walk and it's got all these crazy lights and sounds and the thing is just highly complex and impressive but like he doesn't care about any of that stuff he literally just pushes the train over so that he can play with the wheels he just likes to watch the wheels spin and he's like listening to the little squeaky noise that it makes and he just loves it. And it's like, that's all he cares about. It's like, what is this wheel? How does this work? And it's like, I'm probably stretching the analogy here, but it's like with, with Bitcoin, it's like, you can't just jump in and be like, how does this all work on a technical level? Like, 
or like is it going to succeed like what's the game theory behind like like our country's going to shut this thing down it's like you you really just need that like squeaky wheel level of prodding which is like okay what the heck is money in the first place something i just never thought about in my whole life and nobody has and like what is government issued paper money like is it good or bad like so for me it was like the stages were selfishly number go up you know that was great until december of end of the year um and then it was like okay let me do some of those squeaky wheel questions right it's like slowly slowly prod away at some of this stuff um and so whenever so if i get someone to the level of like okay maybe it's not maybe it's definitely not a scam like it might be but like it's maybe it's definitely not and like maybe there's a world where the government doesn't control money but like still i like you still sound like a crazy person um i always just tell them to read the bitcoin standard that that's what did it for me um safety's book um and i i really wish that book didn't have the word bitcoin in the title because <laughs> most of that book as far as i can recall has like nothing to do with bitcoin it's like the history of like hey money's existed for a long time like naturally people use different things we eventually converged on some that were better than others and like that sort of followed this natural trajectory according to the properties that made some better than others and it's all like very logical and understandable um and i find that historical context is really really helpful um and so that i think is like a really good framework for someone to come into like hey there is a world where something else exists other than these paper bills that we're using um and that's really what set me on the course of like discovery and asking questions. Um, so I, I personally think that's the, the best resource to send people. Yeah, it's an incredible book. And you're right, whenever I tell anyone to read it, I say, but, you know, like caveat, like 85% of that book, there's nothing about Bitcoin, right? You know, it's it's just the history of money and it will blow your mind. It is so damn interesting. And the analogies and everything else, um, they, they just, um, well, they've struck a chord with so many of us already in the space. And driven so many people, you know, a little bit further down the rabbit hole. Um, do you then, I mean, how would you say then it's like fundamentally changed you? Like, you know, some of your behaviors in the past would have changed, I'm sure, since interacting with Bitcoin. Yeah, honestly, it's, I, I think it's, it's probably kind of just what I alluded to. It's like previously, I didn't care to learn about how stock worked or the stock market or things like you said like earnings ratios i still don't know that kind of stuff but i would have stopped at like this is way too complicated for me to a understand it or b make an impact on it or whatever um and so i would have stopped at like this is a scam had i come across bitcoin you know let's say in a different context um but yeah, I think the thing that's changed most is like, I'm kind of just not afraid to ask really simple questions. Like, you know, like the Bitcoin standard was like, holy crap, I never thought about what money is. <laughs> um, and then as you start to peel back the layers of Bitcoin, let's say specifically, you're like, I didn't realize that. Like, there was a gold standard. I'd heard that term. I didn't know what it meant. Um, I didn't realize like what inflation was. Um, there's all these 
on paper, like I took economics classes in high school and college. I'm sure I learned about all that kind of stuff, but never questioned the fundamentals of what those things were and how they came to be. And that's, I think that started to extend beyond just Bitcoin, right? It's like, as I've come across other things in investing, I've, I've been able to sort of be more confident and ask simple questions and um, just kind of question some of the status quo um, in all aspects of life. And, uh, you know, again, on the topic of finance, like it's a very interesting time in today's environment when previously I would have, you know, read these types of headlines um, Fed, you know, does another, you know, more quantitative easing. I couldn't have cared less what that meant before, um, because it was scary and sounds complicated and probably someone else's problem. Whereas now it, it's like, it really just makes you question like, do, um, like, you know, why is it this way? Why does the world work this way? Um, and you start to realize that not a lot of people really understand things that you thought they were experts in sort of gives you confidence to dig deeper and, and ask those types of questions. Has it changed how you how you work? I mean, being in sales, um, it's, a, it's a highly charged atmosphere and we're all about closing a deal, closing a deal. Well, you know, we used to be back in the 80s. I, I hate that style of business now. I think the legacy business system is defunct and um, that kind of behavior needs to you know, die with the 80s and 90s movies. But what... Did you feel a shift when, when you're doing your day-to-day work and you're making the calls and you're reaching out and you're booking interviews or you're booking um, uh, meetings, lunches? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, probably. I guess probably in the same sense. Like, yeah, if, I, if there's one takeaway from I guess how this has changed me, it's like I've realized there's no dumb questions, right? It's like what is money? It's a, that's a toddler-level question, but it's really interesting. Like, <laughs> um and so probably also in, in regards to my job, like, you know, you maybe before I would have like come in with, you know, a, a plan on what I want to read and all the things I want to say. And um, it sort of made me be much more conscious of like, hey, let me actually educate people. Um, like, what are the things that, you know, they might find interesting or that kind of stuff? It almost makes me operate a little bit more slowly, a little bit more deliberately. Um but I don't know. I haven't really thought about that one, to be honest. Aha, uh-huh. that might start uh, creeping into your mind over the next couple of calls. <laughs> Just watching your behavior. Like, uh, hmm, yeah. <laughs> um, what about, um, uh, if it's not too personal a question, um, you know, you, you're you obviously a, a young father, you're building a family. Uh, that comes with a lot of uh, responsibility. You know, that changes overnight, you know, that, that as <laughs> soon as that um that little person arrives it's like wow like you know that is just a total game changer and uh, you, you'll never be able to appreciate that until you've you've been through it and, and experienced it now you now you have you know started learning about bitcoin and investing time and resources into bitcoin how does that make you like feel about the future yeah, I mean, that's another profoundly deep question. Um, first off, yeah, I mean, as you know, like, I went from, you know, living in New York City, my priorities were, I'm a big soccer guy, so I would just try and play soccer as much as ta- as possible, you know, go to the bars with the, with the team after. Um, having a kid changes all the calculus on that kind of stuff, right? Now it's like 
so grateful to be in Chicago with a two bedroom instead of a one bedroom. So grateful to have all this space, a great daycare program that hopefully opens up someday. Um, totally changes how you interact with the world and every, and every level. Um, but yeah, I mean the, on, on the Bitcoin side, it gives me a ton of hope, honestly, like, um, one of my friends in New York city said this to me. He, he, I asked him whether he was planning on having a kid and his answer was honestly, I don't, I don't know. He's like, the world seems like a really scary place right now. Um, and you know, the headlines would have you think that, um, you know, in, in some senses, of course it's truth. Things are getting worse on, on some, let's say micro level. Um, and I can understand why people might be afraid of, of you know, for their kids' futures. Um, and I am too on some levels, but, um, you know, whereas like previously I sort of felt a little bit like I was on the hamster wheel, like, you know, playing the same game as everyone, like, you know, working as much as possible. My wife and I both have full-time jobs. Um, and it almost seems like an inescapable just cycle of work as much as possible, barely seeing the kid. Um, and like you said, sort of trading your time for money that is being actively devalued. And we could talk about my layman's understanding of that if you want. Um, Bitcoin gives me hope because, you know, while it's not guaranteed to cons- to succeed by any stretch of the imagination, um, I sort of think it will. Um, and it just provides an alternative, obviously a monetary alternative, but just fundamentally an alternative from, you know, whatever government, uh, you know, you're currently stuck in. I'm fortunate to be in the United States privileged with, you know, the global reserve currency, but for a lot of people around the world, like it allows them to escape real like currency debasement, hyperinflation, like real, like robbery, um, of, of their time and efforts. Um, so it gives me a lot of hope. Honestly, I, I think like, you know, my small investment into Bitcoin monetarily and then educating myself on it, um, gives me a lot of hope that it'll make my kids better off in the future. So you touched on that, um, exchanging, uh, exchanging your time and, um, what, um, what, what, what would you say to people that are listening to this and, and thinking, you know, what, what exactly are you, you, you trying to get at? Yeah. So honestly, that's another one of those really simple questions, right. That I'd never thought about ever. So it's like, if you're curious what the heck money is, read the Bitcoin standard. Um, this for me kind of gets at like, what is inflation? Right. And it's just something that I could not have cared less about previously. It's like, I've heard that like maybe in the U S we have 2% inflation. It's just one of those words. You're just like, I don't care. Like it just has nothing to do with my day to day. Um, but it's really insidious, right? It's like, like if you just think, uh, I guess let's just define it briefly. I don't even know the real definition, but, I guess my understanding is like, if there's inflation, it's like your money is worth less. It's like, or in other words, the cost to buy the same things um, is higher, right? The prices of things go up. And you just assume that that always has to be the case because there's people that set the policy and they're experts and they're saying 2% inflation is good. I think I remember growing up that like, has something to do with incentivizing people to spend more because if their money becomes worth less in the future, they're more likely to spend more now. And that's maybe a good thing because spending is what matters for driving growth. Like that's kind of the narrative I remember. 
And it's like, okay, that's, that sounds good to me, right? It's like, sure. Um, but once you start to like peel back the layers with that one, you just sort of realize it's like directly robbing people. Um, like there's no, no two ways about it. Um, so if I could maybe try to explain like why I think that's true, it's like, um, well, first of all, if you're like, again, I'm in a very privileged position growing up in a very wealthy part of the world, a wealthy part of the United States. My wife's a doctor. We both work like we are in an amazingly privileged position. Um, but for the people that aren't like, you know, basically the requirement of inflation is that as new money gets printed, it needs to be injected into the economy somewhere. Right. And so it's like, how do they do that? There's all these complicated terms, quantitative easing, they're buying bonds. Like I, I don't understand half of it, but it seems like obvious at this point that the way that it happens, especially in the last few months with COVID is the government will come in and buy companies or let's say prop up companies that would otherwise fail. And the direct impact is that the prices of stocks go up and for people like me that are privileged, that are invested in the stock market, that's great because my investment has just gone up too. Um, but for the people that suffer most in the world that don't own assets, whether that's stocks or housing or whatever, they are being directly robbed at the expense of people that do. Like there's, for me, it's just amazingly clear now. Um, and the mechanics of it are super straightforward. It's like, if you own the asset, that's where the money is going. The value of those assets will increase. If the number is 2% in an average year, let's say on average, like the asset prices should go up maybe 2% as a direct result of that money being printed. And if you don't, well, relatively, you've actually just lost 2% because all that money does is basically tell you what the value of goods and services are. And if you didn't own something that just went up in price, guess what? It just got more expensive. <laughs> if you want to buy it, uh, it now costs you 2% extra. But today it's even more clear, right? It's like stock markets going up like crazy. The housing market seems to have gone up for, let's say, like at least 15 years Again, if it's me, like I'm probably benefiting from this system. But if it's most people, inflation is a terrible thing because things are getting more expensive and they are at the direct expense of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that was never clear to me until maybe six months ago. And maybe if for the people that are listening, they still don't know what the heck I'm talking about. But um, if you just once you get exposed to Bitcoin, you start to see that there is an alternative like it doesn't have to be the case that we have an inflationary policy. Like it would actually be a very good thing if your money was worth more over time, right? Like <laughs> it would mean that regardless of whether you owned housing or stocks or whatever, you could buy more stuff in the future than you could today. Like that, that would be an amazingly good thing. Um, but in order to get to that level, like, yeah, like you, you kind of need to learn a little bit about what the heck is inflation why did it have, why did it come about this way? And like, what's the alternative? Um, and I'm curious, have you, Daniel, have you read, uh, the price of tomorrow? Jeff, Jeff Booth's book. 
Yes, I have. Yeah, I've had Jeff on the show as well. It's an um, amazing experience. Um, really, um, really great book. And, you know, he's talking about, you know, it's deflation that, that we're facing, not inflation. And um, he actually tweeted out yesterday uh, a, a really nice thread about how he almost didn't publish the book because when you go up against this narrative, uh, he had no idea what was, what you know, he had no clue what was going to come back at him. Um, so he's very, very kind of thankful for those people that, that have read it and tweet about it and talk about it and invite them onto podcasts or, um, you know, write, write blog posts about it, um, which was great to see. It was, um, and it was a very interactive tweet. Um, very, very interesting book. I loved, loved it. Like totally, totally blew my mind. Like even on the topic of inflation, even, even if you think, okay, like we have inflation, it seems like there's some downsides, but like the government's going to keep doing it because like it benefits them. Um, and, you know, with at least in the United States, like where there's this level of cronyism that it's like it's benefiting all of the government's allies. Um, so even if you think like that is likely to continue, like his book blew my mind. Like for me, he's basically arguing that like it's just not sustainable to continue with an inflationary policy, regardless of what your opinion is, right? It's like, it's just, it won't happen. Um, and, you know, I'll try and maybe paraphrase like his argument and do it terrible justice, but it's like, he, he's basically arguing that technology will consume every industry. And I can approach that one from, from the, from where I work, from where I sit. And he's basically saying, if you look at the industries that technology has already impacted directly, like consumer electronics, like technology creates abundance and therefore it's less, it costs less to produce, um, which is reflected in the price of, of buying it. So for a TV, the technology that powers TVs has gotten so incredibly efficient. If you want to call it, call it Moore's law or whichever, um, and it will continue to get exponentially cheaper. And for me, when I heard the word deflation again, insanely confused, but if you just think about it, like exponentially technology will make things cheaper. It'll make your, your money worth more. It's creating deflation naturally. And that blew my mind, right? Because there's a ton of other industries that if you compare something like consumer electronics impacted by technology already, let's pick my wife's industry, healthcare, arguably has had little to no tech technological transformation. And, you know, the pr price of um, medical bills in the United States has gone up. Um, education, same thing. Cost of attending universities has skyrocketed. Um, and it seems very clear that, especially with COVID being an accelerant, right? It's like once remote learning really catches on, I know, Daniel, you're a huge proponent um, of remote learning. Once remote healthcare, right? Like remote visits to the doctor, remote surgeries like this stuff is inevitable like it might be a little bit more delayed than consumer electronics but it's inevitable but once technology creates abundance in every industry functionally every industry out there the prices of those things are going to go way down and the part that blew my mind is if as the government your intention is to keep raising prices by two percent in the face of exponential price decreases or deflation you basically have to print an exponential amount of money right 
in order to make it seem like you're still going up linearly at 2%. And once that happens, due to what we talked about, once you print money, it goes to the people that already own assets who get richer at the direct expense of people that don't and get poorer. I mean, I can't imagine we're already on that path, but I, I can't imagine once you know, the exponential starts doubling in a meaningful enough or recognizable enough sense. Um, the world that that will create in his argument, right? This is inevitable, uh, is just crazy. And so for me, like, again, if, if you're someone that like doesn't give a crap about inflation, deflation, all this stuff is just like, you know, word soup. Um, like that book is just crazy. It's so, so easily approachable. Um, it just really blew my mind. Yes, it's um, very, very interesting. And I want to ask you something about like uh, your kind of age group because uh, you guys were dealt a pretty bad hand. Um, I know you say you come from a privileged background and, and whatever else, but com- compared to like the boomers and the Xs, um, it's been so difficult for you guys to try and amass any kind of wealth um, or even get on the property ladder, especially now, you know, uh, generation perhaps like uh, 10 years behind you in their early 20s. Um and I've been doing a lot of interviews uh, very recently uh, for the Homeschooling Summit and uh, speaking with people like Austin Allred, for example, uh, founder of the Lambda School. Um, and we, we got talking about like the, uh, the US student debt crisis and, you know, like the, the, the malinvestment that has gone into like the education scene in the US um, is just extraordinary. And it's this investment like that is piled into these um universities or uh, you know and it's all politics it's all politically driven and all that that's done is drive up the cost of education just so crazy what you know with your age group or perhaps like um guys like five years behind you sort of sort of thing do you have any stories like that you personally know of where people are just in this crippling debt and it's almost going to be impossible for them to kind of worm their way out of it I mean, honestly, I don't know anyone that's gotten to the level of of realizing that they will not be able to pay off their debt. But, you know, clearly my, my wife in medicine, you know, as a household, we've got what I would say is crippling debt, right? Like, with, like multiple sick figures debt just to go through medical school, multiple more just to go through college. Um, and... Again, I, I'm just not an expert on the macro economy. I don't understand. Like, I I watched Ray Dalio's How the Economic Machine Works. That was a super interesting YouTube video. Someone told me that, like, if you want to understand anything about debt cycles, watch that one. So, again, highly recommend. I don't remember half of it. But I am definitely convinced, like you were alluding to, that there is this sort of, like, pass the buck mentality um, to future generations and, you know, consume more than you produce and, so long as you just keep printing more money, the problem is never fully realized. Again, I don't understand half of it, but um, it seems to be the case. Um, and it seems to be the case that the way it presents itself is, you know, larger piles of debt being presented on future de- generations. So, yeah, my wife and then all the people she went to school with, I mean, ridiculous amounts of debt. Um, you're not taught about like you started off with, like you're not taught about how this, any of this stuff works, what it means. If you asked any of her friends, she wouldn't. They wouldn't know what an interest rate is. They would just be like, "I know all doctors have had student loans, and they 
seem to be doing just fine. So I'm sure we'll be fine too. And it's like, maybe, <laughs> maybe you will be. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely doesn't seem sustainable, right? Um, whether it's student loan debt or um, just the cost of education rising in general. I've, I, I think probably due to Bitcoin and just finally sort of broadening the types of questions I've asked myself. I've sort of reached the point where I don't think it's likely our son goes to a traditional university. Doesn't seem likely. Anyone I've said that to, including my parents, would be like, you're insane. How's he going to get a job? Like, and it's like, I, I just, I, I'm sure you saw this. Um, I think Harvard just announced their, their tuition for the next year. Did you see that headline? Um, no. So, so yeah, they, um, and I haven't read the full article, so maybe this is just total clickbait and whatever, but um, I saw they just announced that more than likely the next year will be fully remote. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're going to charge the exact same tuition. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh my god! I mean, how did I get away with it? I mean, who, could you imagine being the guy in the meeting that says, "Yeah, okay, let's let's do that then. Let's just yeah, I'll, I'll rubber stamp that." I mean, that's nonsense. It, it just seems like the world will be like, yes, the Harvards. Etc. of the world will will stick around longer than others. Their endowments are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. There is the there are still industries that more or less require you to have gotten a traditional Ivy League education, and a lot of jobs where yes, going to business school will be helpful. But in the broader sense, and again, like if I say this to any of my friends or family, they're just like, dude, like, what are you talking about? Like, who cares? You're crazy. But it's like, in the broader sense, I haven't used anything that I learned in college in my life. Um, And especially in technological companies, like the the big tech stocks, they don't care. They don't care what your major was. Unless you're a computer scientist, unless you're a software developer, they don't care. If you're in any business function, anthropology majored, it doesn't matter. Um, And it, it just, you know, obviously with what the internet does for like the access to information, all the amazing, like, you know, stuff on YouTube, you could learn just as much there as you could at Harvard next year. And you'd pay 50 grand more for it. It's just kind of (laughs) silly. You could learn whatever you want for free. And this is exactly Jeff Booth's point, right? You know, that, you know, look at this abundance of information that this technology called the internet has gifted us. And, you know, companies like yourself, uh, you know, that ensure that these web pages that I can just click a click of a button is free because there's a little ad on it. Um, It's free. Anything you want to learn, free. And the only thing you're missing is this worthless piece of paper that you're going to, you know, frame and put on your wall that tells you you're like, uh, you, you know, you've got a major in English lit or something. Who gives a damn? It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't. But and then some people will be like, "Oh well, you know, it's a show of, um, you know, if you spend four years, it's a show of commitment." I mean, no, it's not. They're going out getting drunk. They're just like hanging out for spring break. That's the only reason people still go. And as soon as people like you know figure that out, I had Isaac Moore, uh, Isaac Morehouse on the show before, 
And he's like, if you want to hack a college university, if you want, you just, he's like, you go and rent a place just outside of town for like, you know, pennies on the dollar compared to what you'd hire a place for in campus. Walk onto the campus and attend the lectures. No one knows you don't belong there. It's like, you know, and professors aren't going to turn you out the door. So he's like, you get, he's free look at, you know, like a college education and you still get all the parties because you just rock up at the bars. And uh, it's like, you do that for a year, you figure out, yeah, this is good, this is bad, maybe I do want to do this, maybe I don't want to do this. Invariably, you realize this is just, you know, the emperor's got no clothes. I'm the, the, the opportunity cost of four years. No one talks about that, right? Yeah, you've come out with a hundred grand of debt. What's the opportunity cost of four years? Yeah, that's totally true. Um, for education, like I said, I'm convinced my son won't go to a college, a university. It's true of of healthcare. Um, like I said, my wife's a doctor. My father-in-law is a heart surgeon. By by no means do I think that there won't be heart surgeons, but there will just be less routine visits. You're even to go for an annual checkup, you people that don't have insurance, they pay a lot of money just to go get a blood test, right? It's like you go in, you wait, get your blood test, ask you the same questions that you you know you could have just checked on an online survey, um, and it's basically going to be near free for for ninety nine percent of what people use doctors for, um, and so yeah, like uh, it's pretty mind blowing. A lot of this stuff is inevitable. You could argue about time frames, um, but yeah, his, his book's just ridiculous. Um, and specifically, the point of if we stay on the current, you know, fiat money monetary path, we keep delaying this debt burden. Um, the problem will just get more and more severe. Um, and so, like I said, Bitcoin gives me a lot of hope. A lot of people might see those headlines and think, you know, our generation is screwed. Like you said, you know, it graduated in the financial crisis. Um, which wasn't ideal. Um, now we've obviously, I got COVID, but like, again, like it, it sort of gives me hope that there is a different path that is much more simple. It ensures that you get to sort of protect your wealth, um, et cetera. So thank goodness it exists. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. You mentioned timeframes. I asked Jeff that because like in his book, he's kind of like, a, you know, alluding to over the next 10 to 15 years sort of thing. And he he's like, man, that's just we've just hit the fast forward button on that with COVID. You know, everything is going to now exponentially move um, because of people have figured out I can remote work. You know, I've been asking my boss to remote work for the last ten years. No, 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 that's not going to work. That's not how we do things. You'll never be able to do it. You're not going to perform. These are just like um, kind of paranoid bosses having zero trust in the people that they've, you know, hired to do their work if they're not in that cubicle, you know, with a whip over their backs. But lo and behold, right, you've got to work remote now for the next six weeks minimum. Everything's fine. Totally efficient. And there's more time for the employee with their families. Who's going to go back? Couldn't agree more. And it's, you see companies like Twitter um, and a bunch of other major ones that have announced that, They'll be remote first forever. Like they have no plans of going back. They'll have offices if you want to use them. That's just a temporary measure. Eventually it'll be fully remote. Um, and that is the end game because even if you're thinking about it for purely selfish reasons, um, 
you know, Twitter's not the best examples. There's no direct Twitter competitor, but let's just say there was like Twitter's going to save a lot of money by not having to have that many people come to the office and not have to pay their commuter benefits and all this crazy stuff. And in the long term, it's incredibly efficient to stay home. It's better for people's health, mental health and physical health. They get to spend more time with their kids, like you said. Um, that's just the end game. So I, I totally agree. It's like I went from I changed careers because I wanted to work at a company in Chicago in person to COVID hit weeks after I made that decision and quit my old company, which was super interesting. <laughs> to now, it's COVID's even made me see it's that's just the end game. Like it, again, I don't know when, but it just is. Um, education, healthcare, business. Um, it just is. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it makes me excited. It, like, honestly, it does. Like, there's this big debt crisis, let's say, of which I know very little about, but very smart people like Ray Dalio thinks we're still facing. Um, and, you know, it's sad in some sense because a lot of people won't figure it out um, and, and they'll fall victim to the unwinding of this thing. But um, it gives me hope that at least there's a way to opt out of the system um you know took a long time to sort of get to that place like a lot of people will say like you know bitcoin's trying to remove the hands of you know the money from the hands of government like of course that'll never work i'm convinced it kind of will <laughs> so it gives me a lot of hope yeah it it's it, it does me too and um you know like what what you mentioned about um the big universities having just like huge endowments uh, i had mark Hughes go on the show and um he used to be uh I don't want to say the wrong university, Mark. I'm sorry. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, he used to like run the uh, in, investment fund for one of the big um, universities. And these guys, you're right, they have hundreds of millions, if not billions. So now let's think about, you know, this all starts unwinding. Clearly there are smart people there looking into analyzing markets, of all sorts, it just takes one of these funds just to like click, oh shit, we better start holding some of this in Bitcoin as a hedge. Otherwise, they're going out of business. That's that. Because, you know, customers are going to dry up. We just discussed that. Unless they figure out we're going to have to go remote and we're going to have to drop prices all the way down to like five or 10 grand because now we can onboard hundreds of thousands of people from all over the world rather than just, you know, maybe 5,000 and have this unique club. They're going to have to turn their model upside down. But the old cronies that are there, like, oh, no, we, we can't do that because we've got to have this kind of Harvard secret handshake and because that's what you're paying for. <laughs> that's really what you're paying for. It's just incredible how all roads lead to Bitcoin and they will they will have to hedge into it. Otherwise, they're going to go out of business. They're going to go bankrupt. And if they've hedged into it, they're going to have to be forced to learn about it. Then they have to give courses about it. And then we're getting Austrian economics dripping down into um, society. Um, <laughs> that's what gives me hope. Every time I'd like kind of follow one of these breadcrumbs, um, and try and think about it from first principles. Totally agree. Totally agree. It's um, yeah, I've heard like pomp talk about 
pensions and like Raul Paul. And again, like I just don't have the background in this kind of stuff, but it does seem like the incentives will be like, Hey, you know, here's this thing that is sort of like keeping, it's like basically a yardstick for how nebulous, um, like and crazy the the printing gets. It's like, here's this other thing that's actually going to keep everyone honest. And as we just, like Jeff Booth says, as we just go down this path of exponential money printing, like this other thing that hasn't changed is clearly going to go up in value. Um, like that's sort of just inevitable, um, like you said. Um, and so whether it's like from the perspective of pensions or endowments um, or even countries, right? Like I'm, I'm sort of convinced at some point, like, again, like just sort of from the outside looking in, I'm sort of convinced that like the U.S. is the world leader, of course, from a monetary perspective. Clearly, the the approach that we're taking is to print more money. That forces everyone else to also devalue their currency, if you will, which sounds like a scary term. But it, again, my understanding, you just you print more of it, it's worth less. Um, it sort of just, if you want to call it game theory, it sort of just feels like that's what everyone will continue to do um, until like until the first domino goes, which is like some country out there that probably isn't huge effectively has no command over global monetary policy as a result. And it's just like, Hey, let's buy a bunch of Bitcoin or even crazier. Like, Hey, we're going to make Bitcoin our, our currency. And and once that happens, it sort of seems inevitable that everyone wakes up and is like, wait a minute, these guys are profiting off of this. Why aren't we doing that too? <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it is inevitable. It really is. And every time I have these conversations, I just want to go stack some more sats. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I'm getting all I'm getting all jacked up here. It's uh it's ten thirty <laughs> in the morning. I'm sitting in my in my, my closet trying to wake not wake my kid and I'm getting all hyped up too. <laughs> What's um Let's let's kind of close it out on like a, a bit of a personal message because it was you know th- this was the theme of of this podcast. Um, you know, you reached out to me unannounced. Um, I think you probably ummed and ahed about it for for many minutes um, before before you before you press the send button. Um, but here, you, you know, you, you find uh, you find yourself here having this chat, and uh, we'll release the podcast, and hopefully more people will hear it. And, you know, your, your whole premise was, I just want to come on as a normal guy on the street that kind of like knew nothing, found this thing, and it's not that difficult to understand. Um, you know, what's your plea? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's the perfect summation of how this came about. It's like, yeah, my, my plea would be like, rather than, right, just be intimidated or be scared about what you see in the news, um, yeah, like just have the conviction and confidence to start asking some really simple questions. Like I, I wasn't even someone that read a lot of books, like probably a few a year. Um, but, you know, if, if you I think a lot of people like me. I should caveat that when I first got involved, right, it was totally number got up, has gone up. Um, but at this point, I think a lot of people feel similarly to me and probably to you, Daniel, where it's like. I can feel that there's something wrong with the world, right? It's like very clearly um, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. Very clearly um, in regards to George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, like 
very clearly there's a whole like the majority of society is frustrated. Like we can all tell that this is there's something bad going on. But rather than sort of stop there, right, and just be angry or be scared or be confused, like I would just encourage people to ask some simple questions. For me, it was it was Bitcoin that sort of gave me that confidence. It was like, what is this thing? Is it a scam? What is money? Like what existed before our current money? I would say like, just be curious, like know that someone like me that has no background can get to a place where I'm hopeful for the future as a result of something like Bitcoin existing, which again, a few years ago, I would have agreed with most people was a total scam. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, 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 I hope like me reaching out someone on a whim, right? Like my thinking was, I hope people maybe share a similar perspective. They're not experts. They think they might not be able to learn or contribute to the space. Like totally just take the leap. Um, especially in the internet age, like you said, like all the information is out there. We're all in the same boat. Um, just take the time and, and start to question some, some of this stuff. Yeah, we are, we are all in the same boat. Um, or some of us are in the lifeboat and we just want you to get on the lifeboat with us. Uh, that's what we're doing. We're like waving the flag. It's like, guys, there's loads of room. Get off that boat, get in these boats. And there's thousands of them. And there's, a, you know, thousands of different people out there doing, you know, building their own lifeboats and, and trying to educate people uh, around Bitcoin. I forgot to ask you about... Um, I, I I tried to stay apolitical and out of it, um, and obviously I don't have anything um, too much to know or um, say about U.S. politics. But um, just yesterday, I think it was the Kanye West announcement um, out of the U.S. Um, that he's going to run for president. What my question is again around your your age group: How politically engaged? your generation are they all running to the to the booths or is there just like this kind of total dismay or is it something in the middle and what do you think personally about you know this kind of dog and pony show that's going to unravel in the next well what is it november it's confusing and unprecedented right it's like i to answer your first question i'd say like no my generation has not run to the polls i'm sure there's a measure out there somewhere that confirms that but my my belief would be that that's not the case. It, it's never been the case for me. I I could not have cared less about politics. And I would say, like, probably for the better. Like, I, I just, I could never understand, like, why do you have to be Democrat or Republican? Like, why is it that, you know, if you're anti-abortion, you also want guns? Like, I just couldn't understand that. Um, and I still don't. So I, I sort of stayed away from it. And I think a lot of people in my generation, probably for the better, um, have as well um it's also probably just due to let's say like you know you're not watching this you know uh you're not watching like fox or cnn which each have their own slant you're watching youtube right so i think in a good sense people have been led to think more freely than on one side or the other but um no trump trump was a total wake-up call like I, I had told my wife um, on election day or night um, when they were counting up the polls, I was like, no, there's no way he's going to win. Why, why would he win? Like 
he, this is a celebrity star. Um, and then when he won, like we were both just incredulous. Um, but it was a wake up call. It was like a wake up call. Um, I don't know if you followed Andrew Yang at all, but, um, someone that I picked up on early in that process. And he was very interesting to me because I think he captured, um, a lot of why Trump won, which is that a lot of people have sort of been like disenfranchised. They've been left out of the economy as like, you know, small town manufacturing cities, um, started to outsource their jobs, which isn't, isn't a political thing. It's like, that is the sensible move to do. If you're trying to compete on a global scale, you can't afford to pay, you know, United States level wages. Nobody had addressed the majority of the country that whose wealth was, was going down over time. Um, and it was a huge wake up call. So maybe there's other people like me that have started to learn a little bit more, maybe. Um, and we'll see uh, with Kanye. I have no freaking idea what to make of that. <laughs> I no, no idea. I, I couldn't tell you if Trump or Biden or Kanye is going to win. Um, but kind of going back to the theme here, it's like a lot of people can at least tell, okay, Trump won. What's happening there? Why? I think a lot of people are starting to finally ask some of these questions and, and peel back some of those layers, which is a good thing. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Exercising your choice not to vote is a vote, right? I mean, a lot of people would say it's never come down to one vote. I, I would say that, right? And people would be like, well, like, you know, what if everyone thought that? And I would say, well, they don't because other people vote. Um, it's tricky. We'll, we'll see what happens. But I, but I do think it has been a wake-up call here, for, for, for including my generation. And um, we'll see what happens. It's just a crazy world right now. <laughs> yeah, it truly is. Okay, man. Well, final question, <clears throat> final question time. And um, you, you probably know the gist of it. If uh, if you had one red pill left in your arsenal, um, who would you give that red pill to and why? I actually forgot that um, you asked that. So <laughs> uh, I've heard a few people answer. I Am I allowed to use an answer someone else has used? Because I totally am not original enough. Um, what, what comes to mind for me is Joe Rogan. Um Joe Rogan got me into podcasts. I I actually don't really listen to his show anymore, but I saw that he um, just inked a deal with Spotify. He's arguably the most important person in media right now. And that's including like the heads of like major corporations, right? Um, his distribution is just like unmatched. Um, and it seems like from having listened to him, I think he, he buys into there is no dumb question. He is very curious. He's willing to change his opinion. Um, he's very approachable and it baffles me why he's not bought into Bitcoin. Even if he hasn't bought into Bitcoin, it doesn't seem like he has really dug into some of the like systemic economic issues that we're all facing. Um, it's weird. It seems like a black hole. It's just a matter of time that he's going to get red pilled. Um, but I'd love to make it happen soon, sooner rather than later. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's he, he crops up more than anybody else. That is, um, he's he's number one by far, and rightly so. It just it's it, it's going to happen. Um, and his audience um, tends to be millennials and younger people that I think um, can actually help to to push Bitcoin along its natural path. So when it does happen, it'll it'll be a great thing. Excellent. Well, you know, man. Brendan, thank you so much for reaching out and um, and coming on the show and spending the time and, and talking about your experience. 
Um, before we sign off, is there anything you want to leave the listeners with? No, I mean, thanks, Daniel, for the opportunity. It's been super fun. Um, hopefully someone out there finds this useful. Um, I'm sure there'll be a comment thread somewhere where they'll just be like, who the hell is this guy? Like, what the heck is he talking about? Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's been a ton, ton, ton of fun. We'll keep in touch in the future. Excellent. Thank you so much. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that one. That was, um, yeah, something different. Really enjoyed having Brandon on the show. I'm glad he reached out when he did. And, um, you know, it's just nice to get a different insight, a different perspective from someone his age in his position, you know, going through uh, his rabbit hole story and figuring out where it's touching him and why it's touching him. And, you know, just getting, um, getting people's, thoughts about this and, and how it's all going to unfold. Uh, I, I hope that this has gone some way to inspire some of you out there that um, you know have this message to spread. Um, you know, obviously reach out if you want. I can't have everybody on the podcast, but uh, many people don't want to come on the podcast. Um, you know, if you're making memes, keep making, keep making memes. Um, if you're not and you think you can, then get out there and start doing it because uh, this is all part of the educational journey. So uh, big thanks to Brendan for taking the time and for reaching out. Uh, I hope um, you guys go and follow him. Go check him out. Go um, go interact. Uh, let's um, you know welcome him on board. And uh, hopefully many people from uh, his age group are listening as well and are going to start stacking some sats. So big love. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure you keep an eye out on what's going on on 21ism.com. Big plans coming up. And uh, yeah, these guys are, you know, they're, they're really getting the game on. Don't forget to head over to coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. If you're in the UK, start stacking sats. If you're in the US, swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten. Thanks guys for listening. Thanks for all the shares, all the retweets, all the comments. Uh, thank you for the banter. You know, let's go. This is uh, this is awesome. I really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much.